Hey, can you believe that we are at the end? We're coming to the end of 2021. It's always crazy to me how fast when you look back the, the year seems to have gone. While you're walking through it, it doesn't feel fast. But now looking back, it seems like it's just blown by. Our theme for this year in 2021 has been love first. Love first. Before I do anything, before I open my mouth, before I react or respond or take any kind of action, write anything, I want to stop first and say, what does love look like? And 1 John 4, 19 tells us, it's been our theme verse, that we love because he first loved us. So we have the ability to love because God first loved us, not because we're good and that we naturally love people. We don't. So he loved us so that we have the capacity to love. The other meaning in that, and the application of that verse is I know how to love because of Jesus. I know what love looks like. In 2021, I live in a world where love is being defined in all kinds of different ways. And it can be very confusing. I can be wrong in my understanding of love if I'm looking to mankind, if I'm looking to humans to define what love looks like. He, we love because he first loved us. I know what love looks like. So in a, in a moment with my wife or my kids or my grandkids or my co-workers in the, here at the church or in the community, what does love look like in this moment? I look to who? Jesus. And I meditate, I study, I read about his life and what's recorded for me in the word of God, how God has revealed himself to me through Jesus. And now I know what love looks like. So we started the year with Jonah, very loving guy, right? You remember that? If you were here back in January, Jonah really struggled with his love for people, for all people, right? He loved a certain group of people. He did not love another group, and we saw how God worked in him and through him. And then we spent some time looking at family. It's all in the family. We had a series called Growing Pains. Is there pain and struggle in the family in loving one another? All right, come on. Let's be real. You're in church. You can be honest. Is there, is there struggle and, and challenges in marriage? Love of my life, is there struggle and pain in marriage? Oh, wow. She really, she, she agrees with that. Growing pains. We looked at family ties and the relationships and the connections that God intends us to have. And then we walked through the book of Galatians. We studied the book of Galatians and we titled it The Liberty of Love, the freedom that we have to love. Because of what Christ has done in us through Jesus, through his work on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his redemption, his reconciliation, his purchasing of us, and the new creation, now I have the freedom to love. And Galatians helped us understand what that looked like. And then we walked through 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and we called it, this is how we know. There's some things that we absolutely can know confidently and with clarity. And at the heartbeat or the foundation of those, those, those things that we can know is the love of God and his love for us, for mankind. Are we broken? Yeah. Is the world that you live in as broken as the world that I live in? Yeah. Is it filled with, with pain and, and hurt and selfishness and, and struggle? Yeah? yeah. How, how in the world do we love one another, love God and love people in that, in that setting? 
And the Apostle John walked us through that. He recorded, it was, it was through the Holy Spirit that he wrote, and it has been preserved for us to know exactly what it looks like to love, the love God has for us and the love that we are to have for others. And then we started the series that we're wrapping up today, and then next Sunday is our last Sunday together in 2021. Is that crazy? And then on the 26th, we take a sabbatical Sunday, and we're a volunteer-run church, and so everybody, we, take, we close the office, we take a week, and, and we spend with family and loved ones and, and worshiping God, celebrating Christmas together as families. So this morning is our last week in this series, the series that we've called One Another, and if you've been here, you know that we talked about accepting one another, what the Word of God has to say about what it looks like to accept and forgive one another serving one another, teaching and admonishing one another, encouraging one another, and love one another. Now my assignment for this morning was to look at all the, the don'ts. There's a bunch of don't one another's. Don't criticize one another. Don't judge one another. Are you glad you came this morning? Okay, good. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a little turn. I want us to look at why the one another's are so important to God. Why do they matter so much to him? The fact is they've always mattered to him. The one another's are not, we focused on the New Testament, but the one another's weren't, aren't new. They're not just in the New Testament. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 19, we read a list of, we have a list of one another's. Leviticus 19, starting in verse 11. You must not steal. Who do we steal from? Yes. In a practical sense, we steal from one another. We do steal from God because it all belongs to him. But we practically steal from one another. There was a news story last night about someone who stole a, a smoker barbecuer thing from uh, the taco place. I don't know if some of you saw that. And, and the, the owner of the restaurant's like, man, I just, you know, I just want my, my smoker back because they just got awarded best tacos in, in the universe or something. And so we need that smoker. And, and somebody stole it and then they put it on Facebook to sell it to make some money. Who Everything belongs to God, so ultimately we're stealing from Him, but in a practical, it's, it's one another. This is how we relate to one another. And when God says in Leviticus, you must not steal, He's talking about don't steal from one another. In fact, you must not act deceptively or lie to one another. You must not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God, because I am Yahweh. You must not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages due a hired hand must not remain with you until morning. When they're done with the work, you pay them. Don't hang on to it. You must not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. Those who are in need, don't put obstacles, don't make their life difficult. But you are to fear your God. I am Yahweh. We're to love one another. Do you see that there? You must not act unjustly when deciding a case. Those in authority, those who have the ability to, or the position of judging and overseeing in our society, in our culture. You must not act unjustly when deciding a case. Don't be partial to the poor or give preference to the rich. Judge your neighbor fairly. You must not go about spreading slander among your people. Let that sink in for a minute. Don't talk badly about each other. Don't backbite. Don't What's the word? Gossip. I heard it. Yeah. We don't call it gossip in the church. We call it prayer requests. Yes. Pray with me for this person. 
Stop spreading slander among your people. You must not jeopardize your neighbor's life. I am Yahweh. You must not harbor hatred against your brother or sister. Rebu rebuke your neighbor. You got an issue between, two, between the two of you. Rebuke them directly and you will not incur guilt because of them. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against a member of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. I love that. I love how the Holman translates that into English for us. I am Yahweh. Because it would be many years later that Yahweh would take on human form and he would show up in what we celebrate as Advent, as Christmas. And when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, do you remember what Yahweh in human form said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. He quotes Jesus the rabbi, quotes Deuteronomy, and then he quotes Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. The truth is the one another is the instructions that were given in relationship to one another has always mattered to God. It's always been critical to God. Why is that? Why is it so important to God how we treat each other? Would you join me in Ephesians chapter 2 on your, on your Bible, on your phone or in your Bible? It'll be on the screen behind us this morning. If you're at home watching, I encourage you to get out your Bible, get out your phone, and follow along as we read through this text. All of chapter 2 and this letter to the church in Ephesus, and keep that in mind, Paul is writing to a group of people who have gathered, they call themselves the church, the family of God, in this town of Ephesus, and he's writing to that church, church very similar. The details look different, the clothing looks different, but as we read, you'll, you'll realize once again that people are people. And he's writing to this church, and in all through chapter 2, he's talking about, he, he does this very passionate history lesson, that there's been a, a divide, there's been a, a separation between the Jew and the Gentile, the Jewish nation, God's people, and the, and the other nations. There's been, he'll use the word hostility. There's a hatred. Anybody familiar with a hatred for Jewish people today? You've heard about this, you've seen this, you've watched it unfold in our world? It hasn't changed, has it? There is this hostility between the Jew and the Gentile, and he's, he's reminding them of that, but he's writing primarily to Gentile people. There are Jews in this church likely, but primarily Gentile people, and he's, he's refreshing their memory of how they became part of the church as Gentile people and reflecting on the history. And in verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, But now, in Christ Jesus... Now, presently, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near. Those that are Gentiles have been brought near. How has that happened? By the blood of the Messiah, by the death of Jesus on the cross. For he, Jesus, the Messiah, is our peace. Hang on to that word. He is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. The Jew and the Gentile, this divide, there was hostility. In fact, there's like a wall in between. And he has torn down that wall and made the two groups one. In his flesh, Jesus coming to earth, Yahweh coming, taking on human form, being born in Bethlehem and growing up and living on this earth and teaching and revealing God to us. And then he allowed himself to be crucified. His flesh was torn. His flesh was pierced 
We're going to come to the Lord's table later. We're going to remember that. That's what he said to his disciples. This cup, this bread, they represent, they are my blood and my body, which are poured out and torn, broken for you. In his flesh, he made no effect. He removed the, 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 divis, the, the divisiveness of the law. The, see, the, the issue was that the Jews kept the law and the Gentiles didn't. If we want to simplify it, he made of no effect the law, the divisiveness of that, these two groups, the law consisting of commands, God's instructions, and expressed in regulations. He made that of no, it's no longer a divisive issue so that he might create in himself one new man from the two. In himself. Did Jesus abolish the law? No, he fulfilled it. And he brought together Jew and Gentile in himself. He might create, this is the heart of God, to create in himself, in Jesus, one new man, one new group, one new person from the two groups. And the result is what? Peace. Peace. Peace between people, between these two groups that were at odds with each other, hated each other. Now because of Christ there is peace. And he did this so that he might reconcile both to God, people to God, in one body, through the cross, and put the hostility to death by the cross, by it. Amen is right. In that one sentence, Paul, he, he unveils the eternal purposes of God, that God through Christ has made it possible for broken, sinful human beings to be reconciled to him. But don't miss, it's also in reconciliation with one another so that there is peace this way and there is peace this way. This is why it matters to God. This is why the one another's, and we've been talking about them, how to teach and admonish, and you challenge us, man. That's hard to do. And encourage one another and serve one another. And if, if you've been here through these weeks, there might be times when you go home and like, wow, this is a lot of work. I gotta let go of a lot of stuff. I gotta start doing stuff. I gotta, I gotta in the power of the Holy Spirit, I need to give forgiveness. I need to receive forgiveness. I need to let love overlook or a multitude of sins. And I need to make right things that are wrong between me and other people. I have to admit my guilt. I have to take responsibility for my part in the conflict, in the divide. I need to go home and live in my marriage in a new way because the one another's apply to me and my wife, to me and my kids, to me and my grandkids, to me and my coworkers. Man, this is a lot. Yes, it is. Why does it matter? Because this is the heart of God to bring peace where there is no peace. There was no peace between me and God before my faith in Jesus Christ, my trusting in Him and embracing the work that He did on my behalf. I didn't earn it. I couldn't earn it. I don't merit it. I just cried out in faith and said, Jesus, I embrace what you've done for me. I confess with my mouth that you're Lord. And I believe in my heart that you, Father, you raised him from the dead. And God made peace between me and God. Paul talks about in Ephesians and Colossians that before that, I was God's enemy. Now I'm at peace with God. So now, everything this way is going to be awesome, right? This matters to God because the heart of God is to make peace between his creation, those that sin, all of us, that sin has broken us apart, and he wants to restore that peace, and he wants it done in the context of peace with one another. 
You may not think in terms of Jew and Gentile, but I pr- I'm confident that you do, as we all do, think in terms of other things where there is division and hostility. I don't like them. I don't want to be around them. I don't want to m- closer home. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to sit with them. Well, what is it about them? Well, they're this, and I'm this. It always comes down to that. It can be preferences, it can be opinions, it can be where we're at in life, it can be values, it can be all kinds of things. Paul says the greatest divide that it's existed on a human level is between the Jew and the Gentile, and God brought them together to live together in the church, in the body of Christ, in peace. Peace with God and peace with one another. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body, the church, through the cross, through the work of Jesus, what he did on the cross, and put the hostility between, the the lack of peace between people to death. God's heart is that we would live, dwell, walk together in peace. Not a a come to church, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. Yeah. How you doing, Amy? Good. Yeah, me too. That's great. Yeah. Do you know what she did last week? That's, isn't that what we do? And that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about, a, he's talking about real peace where we are living out the one another's together by the grace of God, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, serving one another, teaching and admonishing one another. Verse 17, when the Messiah came, when Jesus came, he proclaimed the good news of peace. He brought this message of peace to us. And he brought this news of peace to you who are far away, the Gentile, and those, and peace to those who are near, the Jew. For through him, through Jesus, we both have, Jew and Gentile, all of us have access by one spirit to the Father. One spirit to the Father. So then, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. But you're all fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. The saints, I believe, is a reference to the Old Testament, the characters that are there, and the Gentile not being a part of that storyline. And he says, you are now. You are a part of the storyline with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and David and and Moses, and it could go on. All those who have come before you, you're all part of the same family. You're fellow citizens with the saints, and you are now members of God's household. And this household is built on something. Do you see in your your Bible? It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Christ, Jesus himself is the cornerstone. So if you're in construction, and we don't do this much anymore. We don't do it in the way that they did then. I I remember watching, I used to, I framed houses for a little bit with my dad, and I remember watching them set the forms, and they they didn't have a cornerstone, but they they had a point, they had a marker that everything else came off of that. They had to identify where this corner was, and then the form for the foundation, the concrete, concrete would come off of that point, or piers, or whatever it was. There's a cornerstone in Paul says it's Jesus Christ. He is the standard. He is the starting point. And then from that cornerstone, there is a foundation that has been laid. And then he says the whole building, everything that goes on top of it, is being put together by him, by Jesus, growing into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You also, he's saying, this has been going on, and and it's been going on for 2,000 years. Now let's make it personal. 
You crossroads, those of you here that have put your faith in Jesus, you also are being built together. You're a part of this. You're being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Now, I, I would love to spend, there is so much here. And, there, and, we can, and I know lunch is coming, so don't panic. I'm not going to take three hours like I'd like to. To unpack what is here. Let me, let me try to just say it in a way that maybe we can take with us and we can, we can allow the Holy Spirit to, to transform us and give us some direction. Let me say it this way. Let me give you three, three thoughts why I believe it is so important to God, these one another's. The first one is this. The Father gave us Jesus specifically intentionally to reconcile sinners to himself and to one another. And it's said here as well as other places that this is good news. It is good news. If we're honest with ourselves, I know we have different backgrounds, different journeys, we're at different places even right now, but I really believe that if we are genuinely honest with ourselves, we would all say that I want to be right with God. You may not know, you may not have a clear picture in your head of who he is, and you may not have an understanding of how to connect with him and how to be at peace with him, but it's, in, it's built into us by our creator to be right with him, to be at peace with him, to be good with him. It's equally true that we, most of the time, want to be right with one another. Now, granted, we convince ourselves that I'm okay, I'm just gonna move on, new relationships, new start, new thing, and we kind of burn the bridges. Do we, we do that, right? As a, as, a, as, a, as a race, as humanity, and we do it as individuals, we do it in our relationships. But there's something inside of us that wants to be at peace with one another. I wanna be at peace with my wife. I hate when I'm not at peace with her. Life is not fun, amen, brother? I heard that. It ain't fun. You know, we say it in different ways, right? Happy wife, happy life. What are we saying? I want to be at peace with my wife. I'm the head and she's the neck that turns the head, yeah. We want to be at peace. There's something not right. Now, we may pursue other things. We're good at pursuing riches or fame or, or security or whatever it might be. We can live our lives pursuing other things, but at the end of the day, none of those things satisfy our desire to be at peace with other people. You can be the richest person on this planet and have your own, uh, your own company that'll send you into, into space, but if you're not at peace in your relationships with, with those in your life, it's, not, it's a poor substitute. See, God gave us Jesus. He sent Jesus. He came, what we celebrate this time of year, but he grew up because he, was, he came specifically to give his life. Why? To provide peace between us and God. And we're good at separating peace with God with one another. The Bible doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. He puts them together. It's not one or the other or one without the other. It's this one so that this one can happen. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, and soul. However, the second, wait, we asked about the one. Well, we can't separate them. Jesus puts them together, doesn't he? He puts them together and says, no, they're inseparable. And then John says, don't tell me that you love God and hate your brother because you are a... The Father gave us Jesus to reconcile sinners, us, to himself and to one another. The good news is this, we can live in peace. 
Does our world ha have an answer to provide peace? It doesn't. It's not going to come politically. It's not going to come medically. It's not going to come through education. It's not going to come socially and making, you know, eradicating these, these terrible things that we have in our culture of poverty and prejudice and, and, and how we treat each other. Those are good things, but that's, those are not going to produce peace. Only peace with God can produce peace here between us. And that's only possible through Jesus Christ. You will not be at peace with others if you have not been transformed through the work of Jesus Christ. And I don't say that to judge you. I say that in, that this is the good news. If you've been on this planet any length of time, you're, you're looking. How do I have peace? Because all of my best efforts have failed. All the things that I've done have not brought me peace. Tell me more about this Jesus that the Father sent so that I could be reconciled, I could be made right with God, I could be peace with my Creator, and then I can live out peace in my relationships with one another. Man, what a Christmas present. What an amazing gift at Christmas. Number two, the Father gave us the apostles' teaching, His Word. I know this doesn't have the same effect, but okay, this is the Word, this is the Bible, this is the book, this is my iPad. The Father gave us the apostles' teaching. In fact, Paul, who, one of the apostles, said it really is the foundation for what God is doing. Jesus came, he lived among us, he completed the work. It is finished on the cross. He was buried, he rose from the dead. He ascended back to the Father's hand 40 days later, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. Meanwhile, on this planet, these apostles began to teach and minister, and the Holy Spirit began to move and work in them and through them. And over a period of, of quite a long time, we have God's word. We have the apostles' teaching. And Paul says it's the foundation with which Christ is building upon. We are God's household. What is the foundation of this church? Is it me? Okay, you need to be a little quicker. Is it me? No, it's not. Is it our elders? Our, our pastors? Is it this, this building with these big beams and the concrete? This, is that the foundation of our church? Is it our music and our worship? Is it our ministries? Those are all good things, right? They can be. What is the foundation of this church? He's the cornerstone, but what does your Bible say? It's the word of God. It's the teaching of the apostles and the prophets that God has supplied for us. It's the foundation on which we build our life together. So we don't agree. Joey and I get in a disagreement. Joey wins. Joey says uh, the chair should be purple. And I go, no, the chair should be green. Well, no, blue. How about blue? I'm trying to, you're tracking with me, right? I'm being silly. It's usually much more serious than that. Okay, behavior, how we treat each other. What's right? What's wrong? And so we discuss and then we disagree. What are we going to do? What's the, what's the foundation that we can build our life together on? God's word. It's the teaching of the apostles that he's building his church. He's building, he's doing his work on the cornerstone of Jesus and the foundation supplied to us through the teaching of God's word, the truth of God's word. And so we sit down and we go, you know what, Joey, I can't find any verses that say chairs should be blue. And Joey, in humility, comes back and says, you're right, I don't find any verses that say chairs can be purple. 
So we go, what are we going to do? Well, let's have chairs that are green. All right, good, we agree. But what if it was something serious? What if it was something more than that and how someone behaves, how in a relationship or a behavior, and we disagreed and we opened up God's word and we come and we find the word of God and says, here's, here's how you're to live. Here's one of the one another's. What's the foundation of Joey and I being at peace with each other, being a part of the same building, the same family? It's the Word of God. And we both humbly go, okay, that's what the Word of God says. So that's how we're going to live. Amen? Amen? That's why he gave us the apostles. That's why it's been preserved for us. He gave us the apostles' teaching, his Word, to be a solid foundation for our life together because God really cares about the one another. Finally, number three, the Father gave us one another. Do you see that? Take a look around. Merry Christmas. These are your gifts. Look up here. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Sorry. <laughs> you, know, you know, don't judge a gift by its wrapping, okay? It may not. But seriously, he gave us one another so that together, look at he says, we are to be a display of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now the whole building being put together by him grows into, it expands, it develops, it takes shape into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You also are being built together. You're becoming a part of this building, this sanctuary. Why? So that you can be God's dwelling in the Spirit. See, the Word of God is, is very clear that the Holy Spirit is a deposit of life and eternity. See, I'm still living in this broken, trust me, every morning I get up, oh my goodness, when is this going to get better? <laughs> in heaven. Meanwhile, I'm just going to keep getting up every day. But you know what? I wake up and I begin to, to pray and talk to God and I open my Bible and there's the Holy Spirit. And he's there opening my eyes to understand what is there and it's for me. Oh, and he convicts me too and says, man, remember what you said last night to your wife? Don't take another step until you make that right. And remember today, and he, he just begins to speak to me. He's present. He, Paul says it's a deposit of what's to come. But there's another aspect to his dwelling in us and his work today. And here Paul touches on it. There's something about the body of Christ when a group of, of believers, disciples of Jesus, are coming together and they're doing life together. I don't know if anybody even sees that phrase anymore over the center doors. Discovering life together, doing this together, living out life together in this building or as a body. And Paul says when you're doing the one another's, when you are being the body, you are being built up together, you become this display of the presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I, I wrote this down for me, and maybe it'll, it'll challenge some of you the way that it did me. Together, we become an undeniable display of God's love and power. See, we are different, are we not? Different ages, different, there's all kinds of differences. And when we look at our world and there's differences, nobody's getting along. Everybody's fighting and squabbling and calling names of each other and they're angry and they're fearful and we're confused and we're tearing each other down. And then we look at the body of Christ and is it any different? God intends it to be. And it better, be, it better be true of us that we're moving in that direction. This is why God cares so much about the one another's because we become this display of God's power and presence. It isn't so they go, wow, look at Crossroads. Those people are so united. That is amazing. They must be incredible people. 
You are, but we're just like everybody else. Who gets the credit for unity in the body of Christ? The Holy Spirit. An incredible God, the Holy Spirit, who is God. And the work that he's doing. The Spirit's work will be most clearly seen in our one another's. So, well, I thought it would be most clearly seen internally. It's not, it's not where it's going to be most clearly seen. That's where it takes place. But you know where it's going to be most clearly seen is how you see me treat other people, how you see my wife and I treat each other, how we serve together, walk together, weep together, praise together, grieve together. The Holy Spirit's power and presence is going to be most clearly seen in us living out the one another's. We will see it, and our community will see it. You remember Jesus in John 17. This is how the world will know, Father, that you sent me, if my followers, if my disciples are, in fact, one, if there's unity. Now, were they the same? Was he talking about they're all dressed in the same, looking the same? Was Peter the same as John or Matthew? Or No. What's he talking about? He's talking about this. That there is a, a, a building, a family that you are serving one another. And when you become a part of that, the Holy Spirit's presence and power is seen clearly. In fact, let me, let me just take you to a couple paragraphs later. In our Bibles, it's chapter 4, verse 15. Paul unpacks this a little more specifically. Just a few paragraphs later in his letter. Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Let us grow in every way into him who is the head. I'm married to a, an RN, a, a pediatric RN, an oncology pediatric RN. And so we, over the 20-something years, we've had so many discussions of, of the human body and the systems in our body. And she'll say, oh, I was treating someone who had this. And my question is always the same because I can't even pronounce it. I go, what is that? What exactly is that? And she'll usually describe it in this, these terms. This these cells or whatever, they attack this system. They attack this system, this part of one of the systems that all need to work together so that we have health. Paul says here, he says, here's what it looks like in practical terms. You need to be speaking the truth and love to one another, and we need to grow in every way. All the systems need to integrate together and serve each other. All connected to him who is the head, that is Christ. And from him, the head, Christ, then the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament. You know what ligaments do, right? They make it possible for the muscles and for movement for other things to happen. They just hold stuff together. We don't, we don't, they're not glamorous, unless you're a football player, a running back, right? And you tear a ligament, your ACL or whatever it might be. And now your career's over, your season's over. Because that ligament is not there to hold the parts together so they can do their, what they're designed to do. He says the body is like, we're like all these ligaments. We, we're all connected. We promote the growth of the body by supporting one another and for the building up itself in love by the proper working, God's design, proper working of each individual part. Let me say it this way. My time is done. And I would encourage you to consider writing some of these down. These are just simple statements, declarations, really. We all have a responsibility to one another. We do. If we're a building, 
We need every brick, every board, every beam, every nail to be in place. If we're a body, which we are, both of those things, we need every part to do its part. Not for itself. The heart doesn't beat for its own glory. It beats for the benefit of the body. The eyeball, the ear, the nose, the, the fingernails, every part serves the overall health and well-being of the body. And every part has a role, the proper working of each individual part. We have a responsibility to one another. Number two, we need one another. Brothers and sisters, there is no room for pride in this church family. Do you hear me? And I'm speaking to me, all of us. There's no room for pride. We need one another if we're going to grow and live at peace with one another. We cannot function, number three, we cannot function as a body without one another. Paul kind of talks about this in a humorous way. Do you remember? He says, what if the whole body were a giant eyeball? Is that funny to you? Could you imagine what the carpet looked like if giant eyeballs just rolled in here every week and made... Yeah, exactly. We'd pay a whole lot more for cleaning. <laughs> you know, clean that up, clean up that mess. Or what if the whole body was one giant ear? How would we even get here? How would we do anything? Ha, ha, ha. How would we do anything? How can we function in the body if we don't all recognize that we are different parts and that we all need one another? We are dependent. This is number four. We are dependent on one another for growth. My spiritual growth is dependent on you and you on me. That's what he's saying. Finally, number five, we belong to each other. We belong to each other. You are not your own. You're part of God's family, and what that means, coming into God's family, is that you belong to a family. You're a part of us, this. Why do these matter so much to God? They matter so much to God because we are intended to be the display of who God is. We are intended to be the display of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. This gathering, not just on Sunday mornings, but this group of people, as we gather, we serve, we, we fellowship together, God's heart is that we would be a living example, a light to our world of what peace with God looks like and peace with one another. Are we together? This is God's heart. Would you pray with me, please? We're going to continue our worship of God this morning. We're going to hear about the third candle this morning, and we're going to light those candles. And I, I invite you just to, if you have not already, open up your heart to God this morning. Where, whatever your background, whatever brought you here this morning, whatever your journey, your road with God has been, I, I want to invite you, I want to urge you in this moment to open up your heart to God. It's not important that you hear my voice. It's critical that you hear his voice. I pray that you've written down these, these verses in Ephesians 2 and 4 and that you would go and, and read them again and allow God to speak to you. In this moment, Father, we, we invite your spirit. He's here. We're not inviting him here. We're inviting you, Holy Spirit, to have your way in our hearts and in our thoughts. We are easily distracted by so many things. It's too hot, it's too cold. What we got going on today, God, our plans, our anger, our fear, our broken relationships, our failures, our guilt. Father, you know that these distract us from hearing your voice. And my prayer for me and for each of us here and watching online that we would hear your voice. Open up the eyes of our heart to see who you are. 
Father, thank you for loving us so deeply, so persistently that you sacrificed your son. We celebrate his death, his burial, his resurrection. We celebrate his birth. Jesus, your willingness to come, take on human form and live among us. How deep is your love? We thank you for that. And Father, we invite you through your spirit, Holy Spirit, we invite you to have your way in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our relationships. If we need to make something right with someone, God, would you convict us even in this moment? So at the soonest possible moment, we would go and make right what is wrong. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Amen.